I felt like, for some reason, Abraham was the, the, the guy I was supposed to look at today. <laughs> Abraham. Uh, we, we have been grafted into the line of Abraham, uh, it says. Uh, uh, and we'll look at what Paul has to say about those kind of things. But the significance of Abraham uh, is, is important in the, the way God has... Uh, set things out in order. Uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden, and that was, that was the plan that we, mankind be in this perfect place where the soil would bring forth fruit uh, and, and uh, stuff to eat for all, all seasons of the year. There would be plenty for us, and it would be a joy to live. That we would be able to work with God in all of that and walk with God through that. But Adam and Eve didn't last long. We don't know how long that was. But, uh, and they were uh, uh, invited to leave the garden. <laughs> and, and so they left, and, and they had descendants. And along the way, um, uh, they, they started to... Um, understand who who God was uh, outside of the garden and, and look to him for things. Now, uh, the, the, it's important for us to know that Abraham, who was um, before Moses, uh, and Abraham was able to see something that, that was absolutely incredible for his day and his age. Absolutely incredible. Uh, then with Moses, uh, God brought in the law. And the law was, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments and, and people... Um, attempted to live by the law uh, right up until uh, Jesus' time. A long time understanding that they could not live by the law. The, but there was provision for them to be made right. Once a year, there was a sacrifice that you could make for your sins, and, and uh, all of the sins that you'd committed uh, up to that point were forgiven. But future sins were not. And people have a propensity to continue sinning. <laughs> and so this, the sacrifice system was, was really inefficient because it, it, it just took care of past things. There had to be a better way. There had to be a better program for God to have his people on. And so Jesus came. Jesus as God and man, 100% God, 100% man. How that happens, I do not know, but he does, and, and I'm willing to accept what he's saying. Um, he has the last say. <laughs> no matter what I believe, I won't be the last one. It's like, like I, uh, when, I, when I went to university, uh, the, on the, the walls there, it said, uh, God is dead, Nietzsche. So Nietzsche said, there is no God. But underneath it, it said, Nietzsche is dead, God. 
God had the last word. <laughs> I don't think he wrote that, but <laughs> I just found it fascinating. So, Jesus came that sin might be dealt with. All of sin. Not just sin up to a point, but all sin would be dealt with. And he did that on the cross. He being the only perfect man, the only man who ever lived a fully perfect life and kept the whole law, um, died for us and became our sacrifice once for all. That sacrifice was sufficient, not just for the past sin, but for current and future sin as well. If that was not true, none of our sins would be taken care of because that was 2,000 years ago. <laughs> but he took care of all the future ones as well. Now, the temple was, was um, torn down at that point, but there is no more need for sacrifice. This whole idea of the temple being built, it's, it's biblical, it's going to be rebuilt, but there is no need for sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. Anybody that, that needs to sacrifice a bull or a, 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 a sheep or a goat uh, at this point in time is, is, uh, is placing themselves under the law and, and not taking advantage of grace and righteousness. There is no need for future sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. Not just sufficient, but more than enough. It's amazing. So, Jesus made a way for us to live in Him. To live in a whole different culture a whole different way where where the temple became mankind that became the home of the almighty he came to live in us rather than just visit us he came to inhabit the people that were his and that's amazing but paul the apostle who was brought up as a good Biblical scholar kept the law the best he could, and, and yet he says that he, he did things that he didn't want to do. He recognized that he was a sinner as well, although he kept the law as probably as well as any man short of Jesus has ever done. But there had to be something else there. And so Paul was amazed at what he found. And he found it in Abraham, of all people. Abraham was his, was his answer. Um, I want to read from Romans 4, verse 13 to 25. Uh, just a moment here. And I'll, no, that's not it. I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. 
It's actually a, a paraphrase, uh, I think, in my, in my way of looking at things, but um, it's called the Passion Translation. And so I'm going to pick it up at uh, Romans chapter 4 and verse 13. Romans is amazing as a book. Uh, it, every time I start to read it, I go, wow, wow, that explains it. Wow, that's good. And, and I've, I've read it at least once a year for the last 30 years. And I still go, wow. <laughs> this time of year, I try to read as much as I can about the cross and what the cross accomplished for us as we, as we head into Easter season, um, remembering all of that. So here, here it is in... Um, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. God promised Abraham and his descendants that they would have an heir who would reign over the world. That's Jesus, right? This royal promise was not fulfilled because Abraham kept all the law, but through the righteousness that was transferred by faith. It was not fulfilled because Abraham kept the law. It was fulfilled because of the righteousness that was transferred by faith to Abraham. For if keeping the law earns the inheritance, then faith is robbed of its power and the promise becomes useless. For the law provokes punishment and where no law exists, there cannot be a violation of the law. That's what grace is. There cannot be a violation of the law. The law doesn't exist. The promise depends on faith so that it can be experienced as a grace gift. And now it extends to all the descendants of Abraham. This promise is not only meant for those who obey the law, but also for those who enter into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. Paul is writing as a New Testament Christian, and he's calling Abraham the father of us all. He's not referring to his Jewish heritage there. It's the faith in Jesus Christ that binds us together as Abraham's descendants, who enter into the faith of Abraham, the father of us all. That's what the scripture means when it says, I have made you the father of many nations. That was the promise to Abraham. And, and, and it's beautiful here. The, the, the tense that that's in is, I have made you. It's, it's, it's a done deal. That was before Abraham saw any of it. You know? He is our example and father. For in God's presence... He believed that God can raise the dead and call into being things that don't even exist yet. God can call into being things that don't even exist yet. God of the impossible, we sang this morning. Against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word and as a result, he became the father of many nations. 
God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. In, in spite of being nearly a hundred years old when the promise of having a son was made, his faith was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of conceiving a child. A physical impossibility. They were beyond the age when it could happen. They, they knew that. It wasn't, it's, not, it's not, oh, they, back then everybody lived longer and, and women were bearing children into their three or four hundreds. <laughs> they had the same lifespan that we might enjoy here. And they were well beyond childbearing age. Verse 20. He never stopped believing God's promise for he was made strong in his faith to father a child. And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. Are you in a place that's impossible? Are you in a place that doesn't seem like it's going to change? Are you in a place that, that makes you cry because it's not changing? Glorify God. Be in that place with your father Abraham and glorify God. And now you can see why, this is verse 22. So now you can see why Abraham's faith was credited to his account as righteousness before God. And his declaration was not just spoken over Abraham, but also over us. For when we believe and embrace the one who brought our Lord Jesus back to life, perfect righteousness will be credited to our account as well. Second Corinthians says, he became our sin. He became our sin that we might become his righteousness. Oh, it's amazing. Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life to prove that he had made us right with God. Our proof is that Jesus was resurrected. Paul tells us that Paul's, or God's promise did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That was verse 13. The focus on faith is completely unexpected considering the time that, the, that, that he was living in. All of the, the, the religions of the Middle East, all of them were about us performing so that we could be found right before our gods. We had to sacrifice properly. We had to live properly. It was, it was all a works doctrine everywhere they went. Abraham lived in a place where everyone was working their way to God. It was reliant upon us living right. 
And of course, we know that none of us can. We look back at it and say, none of us could. Abraham was, was a, a horse of a different color. He, he saw the wonder, the absolute wonder of his God, and that he was able to do incredible things, things that Abraham couldn't even imagine in himself, things that made Abraham's wife Sarah laugh because they were so impossible. Abraham actually believed God. He didn't believe in God. He did that too. But he actually believed God and what God said. And that is faith. <laughs> that is trust in God. Abraham trusted that God was good uh, for his word. That whatever God said would actually happen. And that, that was astounding back then. Like we, we look at it in the word. I, I'm guilty. I, I read it and I go, yeah, yeah, Abraham, the father of our faith, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's no big deal. But it was astounding that he would actually do that. Just, he was so far ahead of everybody else back there. When we take a look at Abraham, we see that he was saved by faith. His trust in God was what made him right with God. And Paul says that his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. You know what a reckoning is? You know, it's making things right. And in the Wild West, when they had a reckoning, they would, they would uh, somebody would have done wrong, and the posse would go out, and the, the, whoever had done the wrong thing would be buried out in the back country somewhere because there had been a reckoning. <laughs> they had made things right. <laughs> it was reckoned to him, it was made right, as righteousness. It was put into his account as righteousness. And... Paul says that the gospel, that good news, the good news of the gospel, the, 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 the great news of the gospel, if we don't water it down. Paul says that the gospel is, this is a, a quote um, from Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith as it is written. The one who is righteous will live by faith. Kind of round and round. <laughs> kind, of, kind of loses you in the... Uh, the understanding of that. Too many faiths in, in one, uh, one passage. Four times he uses the word faith. But the point he's trying to get at here is it is not through our sacrifice. It's not through the things that we do, anything that we can do. It's through faith that he has done it. 
and that he has done it all. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So Paul is a, he's a, a, a Bible scholar, and, and he would have known that Habakkuk, one of the, the prophets, uh, they call them the minor prophets just because they, they, they uh, wrote smaller books. <laughs> but Habakkuk said, look at the proud. This is in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. And, and this, is, this is very big to, to me. Habakkuk said, look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous will live by faith, by their faith. Look at the proud, their spirit, and, and understand the spirit in the Old Testament and soul were interchangeable. Suke. Um, so, so um, that's, that's the Greek, sorry. Um, but spirit and soul are interchangeable. And so Habakkuk, the prophet, understood that our spirits are not right until we live by faith. Our spirits are not right. Our spirits cannot be right by understanding. Our spirits cannot be right by by working it out logically, by us pushing into something. Habakkuk in the Old Testament understood that the proud or the wicked, as, as, as it might be uh, also translated, um, their spirit, their soul is not right. I I think that that means that you can't be at perfect peace until you have Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, living inside of you. People who are not born again believe that they live in peace because they don't make war. They don't fight with people. They, they're a peaceful person. But a true peaceful person has the Prince of Peace at their core. And it's, and it's there that we live by faith. We, we can't have that peace. We can't, we, our, our soul and our spirits cannot be at rest, made right, unless we live by faith. And faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think Habakkuk was amazing in, in understanding that. Of course, he had God feeding him. <laughs> Paul then digs deeper. He, he picked that up. And he, and he looks at Abraham who believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Chapter 4, verse 3. Paul knew that for thousands of years the term righteousness had been associated with adhering to moral codes based on the law of God. As in, in Proverbs 13, 5 says, the righteous, have, uh, hate, the righteous hate falsehood. And uh, in Proverbs 12, verse 5, it says, the thoughts of the righteous are just. Proverbs 11 verse 23 says, the desire of the righteous ends only in good. 
Now, Paul is understanding that in order to be a righteous person, you had to be living by faith. Because he's, he's tying it back to Abraham, who was the father of faith. Paul had come to see that there was no one who is righteous, not even one. Romans 3 verse 20 says, no one is righteous, not even one. So how can we live righteously? Looking inwardly, he confessed, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do that I do not want is what I do. You ever find yourself in that place? <laughs> I, I really want to do good, but it ends up I do evil. <laughs> yeah, and, and so Paul, recognizing inwardly that he needed something more than a moral code or the law. He needed something better than that because he couldn't do it on his own. He, he recognized that he was insufficient in himself. Sin was making him crazy, and he needed a new way to be reckoned to as righteous. In place of good works and perfect adherence to the law, he needed a fresh approach to becoming right with God. Paul recognized that. He found it in Abraham. So he would have looked back in the scrolls and found this this wonderful man, Abraham, who saw the future, saw how it should be. Where it says in, in Romans 4, verse 1, What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. But instead he received credit for, for, instead of receiving credit for good works, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham knew that his, his own fleshly works were, were going to be insufficient before almighty and perfect God. There was no there is no work that this tainted flesh can do that would, would make him right before God. He needed to have God's righteousness somehow. Now, Paul is trying to work this out for us, and, he, and he, so he looked back at Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and that justified him. Making him right with God. Justified 
is a word that means just as if I had not sinned. And we, we cannot approach God with sin on us. But we can when we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We have a right to run into the throne room and be in his presence. Because we have exchanged our sin for righteousness. Everything that you thought precluded you from his presence actually <laughs> enables you to enter his presence because you made this exchange, this wonderful exchange with the God of the exchange. He's amazing. He's amazing. So Paul discovered that Abraham received God's promises through the righteousness of faith. Previously, everyone assumed that promises came through the law. Chapter 4, verse 13 says that. Everything came through the law. But now, the promises of God for a new and better future are available to everyone who believes. So our challenge, our challenge today is to simply trust God. Trust God in whatever situation we're in. Are we physically incapacitated, we can trust God. Are we financially challenged? The challenge for us really is, will we trust God? Is He able? Is there, is there some situation in our lives that we just can't see the end of? So in our flesh, there is no end to this thing. That's where we need to trust God. Because He promised He will see us through. God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that did not exist. He calls into existence the things that did not exist. Amazing God. That's chapter 4, verse 17, by the way. This is good news for all of us because it means that righteousness can be gained by all who share the faith of Abraham. Chapter 4, verse 16. Even if we were not able to follow God's law to the letter. We don't need to be guilty of not following the law to the letter. We need to live our lives in the righteousness of Christ. And that will make us want to live that way all the more because we enjoy his presence. We enjoy fellowship. We enjoy being with him in all that he's doing. <laughs> For Christians, sharing the faith of Abraham includes having faith in Jesus Christ. This was true for the Apostle Paul and for all of the descendants in the Christian church. Now, where that comes to uh, a wonderful fruition in the history of the church is Martin Luther. Martin Luther was like Paul. He struggled. He struggled. He wanted to do the right thing. Martin Luther would would uh, try hard, but, but being a, a good Catholic, he would sometimes spend six hours in the confessional. 
just going over the minutest thing that he had done wrong or thought wrong or intended wrong. Just the, 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 <laughs> the stuff that he had considered wrong. The Confessions of Martin Luther. You know, there's a book about it. <laughs> it was, he struggled in his sinfulness. He wanted to be good and righteous. But after confessing his sins, he would leave the church, and then he says that he would remember other sins that he didn't go over in there. So before he got a block, he was defeated again. I'm in my sin. I am not righteous. And that was, that was defeating him. That, that, that uh, scripture that we read about Paul, that, I, you know, I want to do the right thing, but I, I, I'm, I'm stopped from it, and I do the wrong thing. Luther was in that same position. But then Luther read in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that the one who is righteous will live by faith. It was, it was a eureka moment for him. He said that he felt like he had gone through the door to paradise when it dropped from the scripture into his heart, that he did not have to live by the law. This is 1,500 years after Jesus was on the cross, and they're still living by the law, in essence. But he saw that Paul <laughs> had said that we're to live by faith. And that freed Luther... This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. And the Reformation began when Luther made this discovery about the role of faith making us right with God. If you have true faith that Jesus is your Savior, he said, then at once you have a gracious God and you should see pure grace and overflowing love. He was inspired to preach the gospel, a word that means good news. It means good, glad, merry news that makes you want to sing and dance and twirl about. That's the, <laughs> that's the <laughs> transliteration of it. <laughs> he saw that the gospel was the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Faith is a game changer for Abraham and for Paul and for Martin Luther. Faith simply is a willingness to trust God and Jesus and to walk behind them on the path of life. Right? Faith is simply a willingness to trust God, Jesus, and to walk behind them on the path of life. Abraham put that kind of trust in God and did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. This is chapter 4, verse 19. When he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Abraham refused to look at the physical. 
but instead believed that the word of God was more true than what his eyes and his ears and his touch would, would tell him. He was willing to have faith in God even when all of the physical evidence of the world was that it wasn't going to happen. Abraham trusted God. Sure enough, God did what he promised and made Abraham the father of many nations. When we have that kind of faith, we're made right with God, both now and eternally. There's nothing crazy about it. Faith is the biggest game changer in Christian history, making us right with God through our faith in Jesus. That faith means that we can trust God to work through us even when our bodies fail. It means that we can trust Jesus to lead us even when we wander into thickets on different <laughs> paths that we shouldn't be on through our moral choices. It means that we can trust the Holy Spirit to uplift us even when we disappoint ourselves and others. Being righteous does not come from moral perfection. It is based on being made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the simple, simple gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ makes us right with God plus nothing. <laughs> faith plus nothing. There is nothing that you can add to having your faith in Jesus Christ that will get you into right standing with him. Nothing we can do. There's lots that we'll want to do because we're so amazed at what this bought us. We, I, I can't help but want to work with God. I can't help but want to do the things that nobody else will want to do around here. I want to do them because God is so good to me. I... I can't fill my day enough with the, the things, but I know that that will not get me closer to God. It will not buy me, oh God, before I go to sleep tonight, remember all of the wonderful things I did for you. Am I really close to your heart? What is that deafening silence? <laughs> oh, you loved me before I did that. Oh. Well, that doesn't work for my flesh. My flesh wants to <laughs> work its way to God. How can we do this? It's just trust. Trust that he will do what he said. The Hebrew boys in the, in the fire doesn't say that they were great men of faith, but they were. Our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, he's still our God. <laughs> That's faith. That's trust. Trust in God. doesn't have to be, he's going to save us, and that's it. That's the only thing. There's two ways to look at it. <laughs> and either way, he's still our God. And we're okay with that. Because he is infinitely creative. He doesn't have to do it one way and one way only. You'll find that he's doing it differently all the time. He's, he's amazing.
So our, our place is to trust him. Now, did he talk to you in prophetic words in the past? Did he talk to you and, and promise you a ministry somewhere? Did he promise you, did he put a, a nation on your heart? <laughs> well, his promises are still true. Just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean that he's done. Doesn't mean that he's been socially isolated. Doesn't mean that he's distanced from us. He is with us. And his promises are as true today as they were the day that they were delivered to us. If you don't have prophetic words that are close to your heart, just start to push through the Psalms and see one that, oh, that's, that's for me. And then begin to believe that. I think that David was able to take on the giant because he knew that God's word was true and that God had said, you're going to be king. That day, he was a shepherd boy with some cheese sandwiches. So Goliath sucks to be you today because <laughs> I'm not dying. My God says that I'm going to be king and I'm not king yet. Not only that, but he says, I'm going to be king of Israel. And if you win today, there's no more Israel. So get ready to go, big boy. <laughs> That's faith. That's trust in the God who said those words. Can we have that kind of faith? Might have to build up to it. But when we, we, we had an example of it, if we can, in our circumstances in our boat being swamped by the wind and the waves, if we can glorify God at that time, we will, we will show our flesh and those around us that we have faith in God, that we trust God, because He is bigger than all of the circumstances. He's bigger than all of the court decisions that are going to happen this week or weeks to come. He's bigger than it all, and he's in charge. And if we will but trust in him, this pandemic will be but a, a blip on the radar when we start to look back at it. He is faithful. May he find us faithful. So if you're needing healing, believe that he can do that. Don't have enough money at the end of the month? <laughs> he can provide. Really feel lost without having reconciled yourself to some, some relatives that you really miss now? Watch him do the reconciliation thing. Have faith and trust in our Lord in this season. That's what it's all about. He is almighty. Pray with me if you would. Wonderful Jesus. Thank you that you made a way. You made a way. You became our sin that we might become your righteousness. That we are made right by you. That we can ascend the hill of the Lord because you gave us clean hands and a pure heart. By your 
sacrifice. By your death, burial, and resurrection, you showed us the way to go. Today, Lord, we have faith in you. And by faith, it's simply trust. Sometimes that trust will require us to take a risk. It will require us to, to do something that we might be a little uncomfortable with, but we trust you. The Hebrew boys in the fire took a risk. <laughs> Help us to hear your voice and to follow you on the paths that we can. That we can be shown that we, that we can show others, sorry, that we trust you. More than that, we can show ourselves that we trust you. But Jesus, strengthen each one this morning. Encourage each of us to be about your business and to be in that relationship with you. You made a way for us. We can't work our way to you. And just because we're at home doesn't mean that you love us less or that we're doing less than what's required of us. We are still your church. We are still your bride. Thank you for that, Lord. We love you so much. Would you bless each one now in your lovely name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.